So hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Beyond the Cover. I am your host, John Robb, joined here by my ever-colorful co-host, Jeff Ayers. Jeff, how you doing? Doing great. Have a nice evening. Goodbye. No, I'm kidding. It's, it's great. How you doing? <laughs> We're doing good. Uh, the weather's starting to Things are starting to look up a little. Well, okay. Things aren't looking up. It's just that things are looking up weather-wise, I guess, where I am. Um, but... You know, we're still in the middle of all this going on. We're taping this interview right before July 4th weekend, so, of course, we're still in the middle of everything that's going on. I want to remind everybody that all of our shows are brought to you by Kensington Books, so make sure you visit kensingtonbooks.com, and also Suspense Magazine, of course, so make sure you visit suspensemagazine.com. For more information on all of that stuff, we know that the June um, or that the uh, summer issue is a little bit late. It's going to be out in probably a couple weeks. Uh, So probably right about when you hear this interview, you should have the – the magazine should be coming out, too. But we are very excited that we are going to be joined here by none other than best-selling author David Bell. He's going to be talking about his latest book, The Request. So we are going to be very excited to talk with him about that. Uh, anything else you got going on, Jeff? Uh, no, I've just um, been uh, enjoying some good quality writing and reading time. With, uh, well, I will say going I'm going to start publicizing this. Well, I'm going to start publicizing this as we go because our anthology is up for pre-order. It is the anthology that we have done with uh, Jeffrey Deaver. It is called Nothing Good Happens After Midnight. Uh, you helped edit that. So, Correct. you know, that's in there. Um, it just went up, and we have Linwood Barclay involved in that. We have Reese Bone. We have Heather Graham. We have John Lasquois. We have Paul Kemperkos. We have... Uh, Joseph Badal, we have uh, Hank Philippi Ryan, just name off Tom. We have a great anthology, so make sure you check that out. Nothing good happens after midnight, and um, it's all pre-order now. But without any further ado, let's welcome our guest onto the show. So, David, thank you so much for coming on. How are you doing? Hey, I'm good. Thanks for having me on. We want to. Uh, Again, thank you for everything. You know, we love reading your work. We've been, uh, I know that the magazine has covered you countless times. I think this is the first time you've actually been on the show, though. Am I right? Um, I, think you, I think I did it once before. Maybe. Yeah. maybe it, was, yeah. it, was, it was a few years ago. I, I remember. Clearly, you don't remember, and it wasn't clearly I do any not. kind of impression on you. Um, but yeah, I, I think I was on once before. That's all okay. right. That's all right. Hey, yeah. I'm just happy that your name is very easy to say because I am the world's worst person at <laughs> pronouncing names. So David Bell, I'm in, and that is like right in my wheelhouse, right there, man. I am right there. My so. parents planned it that way. That's what they, they did a great you know, job. They wanted to keep it simple. Yes. Very yes. good. Just just like me. I mean, I'm John Rob, so very easy. Except my last name is spelled R A A B, so people call me Rab, and I answer to anything. Yeah, but people. So. Yeah, I was gonna say yours isn't that easy because people probably call you Rab. They know, do. It's tough. Yeah. But the good thing about my last name is that it is at the top of every R alphabetical list. You can't get any better than A A B. So I do have that going for me. That's about it. That you always look on the bright side. Exactly. And so yeah. let's jump into the request a little bit here, and let's see what you got going on. So uh, tell everybody a little bit about it. Yeah, so the request is a book about a guy named Ryan Francis, and Ryan really has a great life on the surface. He's, uh, he's, he has a good marriage, and he has a newborn baby, and he has a good job. And his life is so good that he posts lots and lots of pictures of himself on social media so that uh, everybody knows that he has a great life because he knows how to pick the right filter and everything. And so everything looks great in his life. 
Um, but that surface is covering up uh, some dark secrets that he has. And at the beginning of the book, um, his old friend from college, a guy named Blake, shows up and says, um, you know, I need you to do something for me. Just a tiny little request. I need you to go into this woman's house and take something out of her house that would ruin my life if anybody found out about it. And Ryan naturally reacts the way we would all react and says, you're nuts. I'm not getting involved with some crazy scheme that you have because you always get me into trouble. Um, And Blake says, well, if you don't do this for me, then I'm going to tell everybody about that thing you did in college that no one knows about, that thing uh, that the statute of limitations is not up on yet. So uh, Ryan then decides he's going to go along, and he goes into this woman's house. And when he gets into the house, he finds her dead on the bedroom floor. Not only is she dead, but he knows her, and he didn't realize he was going to know her. And as he's standing over her dead body, his phone chimes, and he has just received a Facebook friend request from this dead woman. And he hears the sound of sirens approaching, and it's not a good day. It's just not the kind of situation you want to find yourself in. And so that's what starts off the request. Uh, So... uh I like this book a lot. Um, was really enjoyed it because I couldn't figure out why someone would do what he does, you know, breaking into somebody's house. And basically, he kept surprising me, and that's hard to do because I read so many books. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm wondering what came first when you were plotting this book? Was it the characters? Was it the secret, or was there something else that sort of sparked the idea for this? I think it really began with this idea of the old friend showing up. We, we all have those friends, those people we're friends with when we're young, you know, like in high school or college, and we become friends with them quickly because of the situation we're in, and it's not really meant to be a long-term friendship. It's, it's someone who um, is a little dangerous and who's going to lead us into a lot of trouble, and the friendship's going to burn really white-hot for a short period of time, but you don't want to see that person after a certain point in your life. So like when you grow up and you get married and have children and whatever, you don't want that dangerous, weird friend to show, back, show up back in your life. And so it really started with that. What if that friend who you know is bad news and who you don't want around in your life, what if that person shows up again and they know something about you that could blow your whole life to pieces? So it really started with that situation with these two guys, one who has everything on the surface but is hiding this dark secret the other one who his life is really kind of chaotic and out of control, but he has something over the other guy. And what happens when you put those two guys together uh, and what kind of trouble can they get into? Yeah, it's kind of like a version of blackmail without the money. Yeah, it it is blackmail because... um, Because it's like, do this or I'm going to tell. 
Right. It's it's your reputation is at stake, right. you know, and and there's legal jeopardy that in um, where I live in Kentucky and where the book takes place, there's not a statute of limitations on mm-hmm. certain felonies. So like if you've done something, uh, even if you did it more than five or seven years ago, uh, you can still face legal jeopardy civil jeopardy, um, in addition to, in, in the case of the, you know, the book, Ryan would lose his job, lose his marriage, lose everything that he has. So, so yeah, it certainly is a form of blackmail that Blake is pulling on him to try to get Ryan to do what he wants him to do. So when we're talking about Ryan, I guess, in this instance, because, you know, you kind of put him in uh, the, you know, the inevitable rock in a hard place kind of thing, did you... Uh, I'm going to ask you, you know, how did he kind of surprise you or did he surprise you in kind of the way that you thought he would react to the situation that you gave him? Well, I mean, I knew that he had to go along at the beginning or else there wouldn't be a book, you know. So I knew this had to be a guy who um, his, the things in his life were so valuable to him that he would do anything to try to keep them intact. So his reputation, his marriage, um, his financial situation, because he has a good job, um, he would do anything to keep all of that together because he is worried about partially about how he appears, and he does care about his family. So I knew he had to be someone who would go along with this. The thing that, I, I, that most of my books are about is what does an ordinary person do as the pressure gets more intense on them. So, you know, it's, it's one thing, and, and I'm not trying to knock these stories, but, you know, if you watch a James Bond movie or something like that, or, you know, you read a, a Jack Reacher book, say, by Lee Child, you know, you know Reacher can, like, kick someone's ass and take care of the situation, right? You don't worry about that. But I'm thinking of, like, a regular guy who's not, trained by the military he's not a spy he's not like me like you yeah. like you like us right yeah. regular guys who would you know who try to avoid those kinds of situations as much as possible but what happens when he's forced into that situation because if he doesn't go along like you said he's between the rock and the hard place so so that's kind of where what i was doing to ryan is what would this regular guy do when he finds himself way in over his head and dealing with a lot of people he's not used to dealing with. And that's kind of the interesting part for me. I have to ask about payoff and uh, trying to be spoiler-free as possible, Um, but do you put extra pressure on yourself to make sure the payoff delivers? Because with such an intricate and complicated story that you're telling – there is that possibility, and I think you nailed it, but I'm just curious, do you pressure yourself for that? I think so. I mean, I think that when people read a thriller or a mystery or something like that, they are expecting something bigger to happen at the end um, because that's, that's kind of what the whole thing leads to, right, is I'm going to get to the end and I'm going to be surprised in some way, or I'm going to be shocked in some way, or things are going to get resolved in some way that I couldn't have imagined. Um, And so, yeah, I think people who are writing mysteries and thrillers especially kind of feel that way. Um, And so I do think about it, and I do think, I I don't know, have you guys seen that movie uh, adaptation, the Nicolas Cage movie, you know, where uh, 
with uh, Meryl Streep, you know. And in I there, didn't know Nicolas Cage and Meryl Streep were in a movie together, ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A- Adaptation is the movie oh. that um, it's um, it's based on. Susan Orlean wrote this article for the New Yorker about a guy who grew these rare orchids. And then, so then, it's Charlie Kaufman, the guy who made Being John Malkovich. Um, okay. And so they took that article, which was about orchids, and then turned it into a, a movie about a guy played by Nicolas Cage trying to adapt that article to a movie. And it's much stranger than that. But he's oh. writing a screenplay, and so he goes to see um, the screenwriting guru, and the screenwriting guru says, well, if you give them a great ending, the audience isn't going to care what happened in the rest of the movie if you, if you deliver a great ending. And um, there, I think there's some truth to that. If you nail the ending, then like the, the reader at least goes away with that. Um, so anyway, this is all a roundabout way of saying, yes, I think the ending is very important. And yeah. I think that we've all had the experience of reading a book where – maybe, you know, two-thirds, three-fourths of the way through the book, we're thinking, this might be the greatest thing I've ever read. This is amazing. If it falls apart at the end, you kind of feel like, ah, so close but yet so far. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so uh, it's definitely, I think, there's a lot of pressure on the ending. Mm -hmm. You know, and I used to always ask the question to people, too, was the beginning or the ending, which do you think – is the most important to the reader, but which is the hardest to write? Yeah, I don't know. Good question. I mean, I think that, I mean, they're all important because you can, readers today, um, I mean, I think especially if people are reading suspense, thrillers, mysteries, there are so many good ones out there. And they have so much to choose from that, you know, if they start reading, you know, 10 or 15 pages of, of a book, and they're not hooked by it, then they're going to say, well, you know, I know I can go find another good one somewhere, right? Right. Um, or I can go watch a TV show on Netflix that will be really good or whatever. So, so there's a lot of pressure that's, on the beginning. But that's, that? but that's why I – but I think that the beginning is the hardest to write because it oh, does because have to keep the reader engaged. Where the ending – I mean, I would, wouldn't you say that maybe 70 for – Five percent of the authors that when you're writing like you kind of already have an idea of how it's going to end so i don't think it's quite as tough but it's more harder to see how you're going to get it going and get it started but i think the ending of the book is what the readers take away to buy your next one and if you cheat them at the end they might not want to buy your next one because that's the last impression you gave them yeah yeah you're i think you're right about that and and something you know the one thing about the ending is if the book is going and it has momentum, then if it's rolling along well, it's kind of like you know rolling a boulder down a hill or whatever. Yeah. It, maybe the ending kind of you kind of just discover the ending and you get there. But it is hard. It maybe it's harder to hook readers because they have so many things to choose from. Right. Uh, they can get so off many it. movies, so many TV shows. At the at and the people's at attention the spans are like gnats now. <laughs> you know. What is the thing? What is the t- is the TikTok like the six second videos? Like six seconds, ten seconds, Snapchat. It's like that's what they want. Just give me a ten second video. I don't need an hour. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I experience that myself, where like you know, someone will tell me, "Oh, you should watch this video on YouTube," and I'll say, 
oh, well, I'll look at how long it is. Yeah, and I'm like, it'll I'm not. be like one minute and one second. And I'll think, oh, that's too long. I don't have time to watch a video that's a minute and one second. It's yeah, 58 seconds. I know. I it's watch. hilarious, isn't it? We are. <laughs> But we make these we make these arbitrary cutoffs like oh you know I I can't give you more than a minute for this thing right you know it better be interesting in a minute or I'm gone sure um so th- this is going to sound like a strange question and I apologize in advance no it's but nothing nothing parents, strange with you Jeff nothing baby yeah it's all good yeah um, I, I love that um, <laughs> your novels have really mysterious women as the focus and you write great men too and they have mysteries as well but i'm wondering do you prefer writing sort of the mysterious you know secretive female more than writing male characters i don't know that i necessarily think of a difference between the two um i enjoy all the characters um and i enjoy getting into all those different heads um, I mean, I guess writing about a woman is different or more challenging because I'm not a woman, so that requires me to stretch my brain in ways that I might not have to if I'm writing about a man. Um, but I don't, I don't necessarily think very heavily about that distinction. They're just all characters. Um, the point of view character whether it's multiple points of view or just one point of view, those characters are always very important because you really have to get into their heads. And I think, I think the number one thing that a writer can do, regardless of what their writing is, um, I, I think that we can worry too much about characters being likable or whatever. I think the main thing is, is that readers want to understand characters um, and so the writer has to understand the character, and that's kind of the fun part, getting into these other people's heads, trying to figure out what makes them tick. That's the psychological aspect of it. Um, that's why, you know, most writers probably spend their lives looking at other people and, and trying to figure out what makes them tick and then using that in books. So that's, that's where the excitement comes, I think, a lot of the time. Nice. That's cool. So I'm going to ask I'm going to ask like three questions like real quick to just give me like real quick little answers just for fun, okay? Because I did this okay. is something I literally just thought of. So what book do you wish you could say you've written? Oh, that's a good question. Um I'm trying to think of what book in history has made the most money. <laughs> because that would be my answer. You know, so none of the stuff that's in the public domain. Um, the Bible. Oh, the Bible. <laughs> yeah, I've made a lot of money off of that one. Um, I don't know. You know, I, I know he just died, Charles Portis. I mean, True Grit is one of my favorite books yeah. that I teach a lot. Um, and I just think in so many ways that's a perfect book. Perfect voice, uh-huh. plot, characters, all of it coming together. So... Sure, I'll say that. And he made plenty of money off of that. So there you go. Win-win. Now, okay, so if you could write the next book of any character series, which one would you want to do? Yeah, that's also an interesting one. I mean, I've always been – I know that other people are already doing this, um, that Ace Atkins is doing this. 
But I mean, I, I was always a huge Spencer fan and a huge Robert B. Parker fan. Um, and so I, I just think Parker was just those early books, especially when I was first thinking of writing mysteries, those books were just textbooks on how you write a tight, compact mystery. So I really like Spencer. I really like him as a character. Uh, I'm not trying to take take Ace Atkins' job, and he's like four times bigger than I am. So, you know, we're cool. But, <laughs> Ace is a good uh, guy, though. Ace is a good, a very guy. good guy. He's a very good guy. Yeah. But, uh, and okay. he's, done a great, he's done a great job with it. He's done an amazing job with it. I'm just saying, like, that's a character who would be a lot of fun to write about. Okay. And which one of your books would you like to see either become a TV show or a movie? And which one would you rather have it, a TV show or a movie? Oh, so is the correct answer every one of them? Can I say No, that? just pick one. Oh, I know okay. it's like your kid, one. but you can pick one and say, you know, I really would like to see this one as a TV show or I'd rather see or this one as a movie. Oh, so I mean, I know you want to do Which one would you like to see first? Gosh, I don't know. I don't really – I haven't really thought of that that much. I mean, you know, Cemetery Girl's been out for a while. I think that would make mm-hmm. a really good movie or TV show, so – uh, but, there was so a, would you rather a, see your books in TV or a movie? Like, how, like, what format do you think that it would work better to tell your story? Well, I mean, I think that what they're doing with television now is, is great. And the fact that you can – because so many times when we watch a book adapted to a movie, if you've read the book, you think to yourself, oh, you know, they left this part out. Oh, they really, you know, like cut corners on this in order to get it fit in two hours. Now, when they take a book and make it into a TV series, and they're like, oh, we've got, you know, five hours, six hours, eight hours to do it, right? That Mm -hmm. seems like a better way to do a book justice. So the TV thing is really kind of appealing because you feel like they can do everything with the book, right, and, mm-hmm. and not have to leave a great deal out of it. So I kind of like the idea of the TV show, you know, the Netflix series, whatever. And then if it's really good, they can just keep on going into another <laughs> I wonder. Season. I wonder about the – hey, Jeff, uh, Jeff, and this, I want you to answer this one too. Do you think that if a book is made into a TV or a movie, which one do you think boosts the book sales the most? I think it's a movie. I think that if a book makes it into a movie, that that boosts the book sales more than if it becomes a TV show. And why do you think that? Why would you think movie over book on that? Just because movies have because more... I think that I think that the title of the movie is the title of the book more more or less than not. So, and you just have more play of knowing that it's off of a book. But when it's a TV show. They're not, they're not going to call it the request. They're going to call it something different. And I think that sometimes that doesn't hit the correlation maybe. I, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I really have no idea. But I'm just guessing. I was just sure. curious. What do you think, Jeff? That's just a weird question. And I was going to say the TV show because there's more of a personal connection because you're watching it at home rather than uh, going out and seeing it on a big screen per se. But yeah. I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess do more I see a movie or see a TV show, I guess is what it is. I would think they'd see a movie more than a TV show. I mean, these, these, days, it's TV sh- these days it's TV shows, but, you know, that's yeah. because of the pandemic. And I was, just, I was just trying to think how many... Oh, that's true, the pandemic, yeah. 
I'm just trying to think, like, how many TV shows that were based on books, you know, because there's a thing with, like, movies being based on books, and then there's, like, the movie tie-in version with the movie well, cover art the, on the cover. Well, a couple you know. off the top of my head, you got, what, Kathy Reichs and Bones, Tess Gerritsen, Rizzoli and Isles. Those were two yeah. that were long-running. Diana Gabaldon and Outlander. Outlander. Yeah. So, oh, I, mean, I wonder if I the mean, genre if makes a difference. Because I bet you that she sells more books because of her format in Outlander than she ever would in a movie series because of her format. I bet you. Huh, I don't know. Well, you couldn't, <laughs> I mean, you, couldn't make, you couldn't make one of those books into a movie without leaving a lot yeah. out. But, but that's sure, like Game of Thrones. Yeah. Yeah, that's a series of books that's set up perfectly for TV because isn't it each book is kind of a different time period so you can just do like each season as a book yeah. and you know here yeah, we are in the 1700s right. and here we are in the, Yeah, I mean that that makes sense. I don't know whether she thought of that before she did it but it worked yeah. out perfectly. It did. Well, and each one of those books is 4000 pages long but um <laughs> anyway, um so I'm curious and this is something that uh, we talk about a lot on our show here is <laughs> I know it's coming. You know, you know the question's coming. Series versus standalone. Why why have you not uh, dived into a series? I think it's because I mean first of all, you know, no one has ever really come along and said take these characters and do something else with them, right? Like if if I'd written a book and someone like my agent or my editor or whoever had come back and said, gee, have you ever thought of revisiting this or ever thought of turning this into a series? It's never really happened. And I guess I've never felt really compelled to do it. Now, I will say that I've, you know, I've, I've thought about some of the previous books and I've thought, what are those people doing? You know, what kind of trouble could they get into going forward? But you could start a um, new series. Like you could just start it from scratch if you wanted to. Or, or you could start a new series, right? And yeah. and there's yeah. there's always that there's always that catch, which is um, if you start a series, if it starts well, uh, then you know you're set. Like if if it comes out of the gate really well, then you're like, okay, I've got a series. If you if it starts and doesn't really take off, then you're kind of like, well. Now what do I do? I have to start all over. So it's kind of a catch-22. Um, so, yeah, so I, I, it's just never really happened in that way. Um, not saying that I would be opposed to it, um, but I've just kind of been the standalone guy, and I kind of think of ideas that are standalone, and that's the way it's been going. Okay, well, um, yeah, I was curious about that. Thank you. Um, then I was curious, because we're in the middle of this, amazing and unusual situation with a pandemic. Um, how do you see the publishing industry moving forward? Yeah, Slowly. good question. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it slow. Slowly. It's slow. Um, I, you know, I don't know. It's interesting because on the one hand, um, so, like, you know, authors can't do book tours and they can't do in-person events and the conferences right. have all been canceled and things like that. Um, so authors are having to do virtual events and stuff like that. I mean, on the one hand, there, there are benefits to the virtual event. People from all over the country can interact with the author, right? And 
and see the authors. You could do like four a day. Yeah, you, you can do a lot of them, um, and it's cheaper because you don't have to you know, send an author on a plane somewhere and, and put them in a hotel and all that stuff. Um, so there are some benefits to that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, so much of the business is is meeting people face-to-face, whether it's going to a conference and meeting people, going to a book signing and meeting people, going to a library and meeting people. So I do hope some of that in-person stuff comes back someday um, because I think everybody's going to miss a lot of the social side of it. And I don't just mean drinking at the bar at a conference, but I just mean like, you know, a lot of connections are made in A lot of networking. Yeah. yeah, a lot of networking yeah. and just solidifying relationships. You know, you get to talk to your editor in person. You get to talk to your agent in person. Uh, you get to talk to your fellow writers or readers. So, I, you know, I hope a lot of that comes back. And certainly there's concern about how a lot of bookstores are going to do. Um, you know, the smaller bookstores that – Sure, not open. Just like, just, like any, just like a lot of small businesses, you know, restaurants. Well – not just that, but how many conferences like are going to survive? Well, that too. You know, I, you know, it's you know, pe- I, people are going to be gun shy whenever whenever life returns to whatever counts as normal. Um, there's going to be a time period where people are going to be gun shy about going back in public, right, and going back to a big conference where everybody's True. in a hotel. You know, and everybody's at a banquet or whatever, and everybody's in a bar. So even even when this has passed, you know, there's going to be you know you wonder if attendance is going to go back to what it once was at some of these things. Because right. our, our how is it how is it just going to affect large gatherings in general, sporting events, movie theaters, all that stuff? It's it, I just don't know that anybody can really know what this is all no. going to look like. I mean, I really, I mean, look, I, we've all been locked down for, I've been locked down for four months now, and I've been working from home for four months, and I want to get out, and I want to go out and do things, of course, but I don't have that big of an urge right now to go out there and risk anything, I guess. So I, I, I'm just, you know, I'm more cautious. Yeah. Yeah, and you, you have, know, like I have. Kidding me, I, I would have, love to be uh, in Dodger Stadium this weekend to see the freaking game, but no, there's no baseball. You know, I'm a huge Dodger fan. I go to 10 games or so a year, and there's nothing. So, yeah, I miss it. But, you know, I don't miss it that much, I think. And when, you know, so I, I don't know. What's, I don't know. It's, I don't know what's going to happen. It's weird. I don't know either. I mean, and the big thing, too, is like, so, for instance, um, my mom is 88 years old and immunocompromised. So, like, I could go out and do something, but I don't want to bring it back to her. You know, my in-laws are in their late 70s. I don't want to bring something back to them, or I don't want to right. pass something to my wife, who then would take it to her. You know, so it's like it, it really, the ripple effect of everybody's behavior is... So it's like, what do you do? Go to a football game, and then, and then you spend 14 days by yourself, and then you, then you get to come home? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So... It's, I it's know. all very it's all very up in the air, so we'll we'll just have to see what happens. Well, yeah. and then you know, on your website, davidbellnovels.com, when you go to the events, you can see that you do have events that are coming up, um, and you know some of the and you're talking about the virtual events, but you know you got one coming up just uh, uh, when we're taping this, July first. We're doing Facebook chat, Facebook Live. You got so you do have some things that are coming on the horizon um, uh, on your website, but yeah, you're doing the virtual stuff. 
Yeah, and you know yeah. the Facebook Live and the Zoom and and those kinds of things, which are great. You know, because like yep. you said, I don't have to. Uh, I I like going out on the book tour. I mean, but there are parts of it that you know I'm not that crazy about. So it's nice to not have to go anywhere. But then on the other hand, you know, like you said, we've all been locked up for months, and we kind of yeah. want to go somewhere. But we're you know it's not safe to go somewhere. So um, yeah, so we're making the best we can of it by doing virtual events, yeah. um, and you know that's a way to reach people. And, and and so your website, davidbellnovels.com, is that the best place for everyone to find out about everything? Stay at the most up to date? davidbellnovels.com is the website, and I'm on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, Which one do you kind of do the most? Which one do you kind of do the I most? I feel the most comfort with Facebook just because I've been using it the most. It, okay. it's, the, it's the one that's been around the longest. Instagram, you know, I like Instagram. There's a great book community on Instagram. I've just never been a big picture guy. So like the picture part of it, you know, I was never someone who was like taking a lot of pictures of things. Um, So I've had to adapt to that. But there's a great book community on Instagram, and it's really a supportive community. And they've done great stuff for getting the word out about my book. So, you know, so I've been using Instagram, and that's a lot of fun. Nice, nice. Uh, and so, and there is something on your website too that if you sign up for a newsletter, you receive an exclusive short story, huh? So that's kind of cool. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I don't know what short story it is, but um, <laughs> oh, no, that's what it says on your that's what it says on your site that no, if you sign up. That's been there for a while, but yeah, sure. I oh. definitely want people to sign up for the newsletter, so please do. Okay. Uh, and we cool. send that out at least every month or so, uh, and yeah. that's the way to find out about all the fun. And um, Yeah, I know. We get it. Of course. And, we signed yeah, up for it. Yeah, yeah. yes. Of course. Well, you guys are like dedicated newsletter readers. Got to get newsletters. I get like 100 yeah. different newsletters, I think. <laughs> You know. I get newsletters from people I've never heard of, so yeah. That's true, and then that's <laughs> yeah. and so you're like, that's news to me because I don't even know. That you. is news. I didn't, I didn't even know I signed up for this. Works. Yeah. So, well, hey, David. Again, everybody, the book is called The Request. So, we listen to the interview. You go out and get it, uh, whatever format you'd like to buy it in. It is available. David, we want to thank you so much for coming in and talking with us. It has been uh, a great pleasure to have you on. So, wish you nothing but the best, and of course, stay safe, my friend. Thank you guys very much for having me on. I really appreciate it. I appreciate all the good work you guys do. And, yeah, please stay safe, and uh, maybe we'll get to watch baseball again soon. Maybe. Maybe we'll be able to meet at a conference. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. We'll see. All right. Well, you have a good one. We'll talk soon. All right. Thanks, thanks. All right. Bye-bye.